Amen. Isn't that the, the call of our, our lives? The call of our very existence after the fall is to, to make every element of our lives captive to the love of Christ. And that's before us this day as we talk about work. Before we do that, though, a couple announcements, one of which I'm going to change just a little bit because I like my work in terms of my employment. And I've been told to, this morning of four people, all the women, who've had big birthdays this week. And they even told me the ages. Well, like I said, one of them you know because it's in your bulletin. But I know this is what I, that Dottie Zimmerman had a big birthday. I'm not telling you which one. Marge Klusmeyer had a big birthday today, Tink, or this week, Tink Linder, and Marilyn Frank. So anybody else have a big birthday and you're willing to admit it and nobody else gave you my name when I came, gave, you, gave me your name when I came up here. Well, happy birthday to you all. Also, and this is the, the nature of the, the church, some have uh, uh, celebrations of birthdays and some have celebrations of birth into the new kingdom. And Dick Coates has his uh, birth into the, the, the church triumphant um, this week or last week and he, um, his memorial service will be at 2 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon here and just want you to know that. And while I'm taking elements of uh, announcements, one, one other bit of information. Um, you've received a letter from me and from the session concerning some of the decisions of the denomination of the, the National General Assembly actions and proposals. And I won't, don't want to repeat those details that uh, wanted to assure you and affirm our continued commitment to being a voice of renewal a voice of reformation within the church, especially in the issues that continue to be before us in the issues of uh, sexuality. But during the course of this week, had a number, two or three people, which usually is the tip of an iceberg, ask me, well, specifically, you know, well, why are we staying? Because a number of you have friends in other churches that have decided to, to leave the denomination. And... Uh, and as I reread the letter, it really doesn't speak to that. So I wanted to give you briefly uh, three reasons uh, for me and uh, for the session as to the reasons that we stay. Why we feel we have a responsibility to stay. Uh, one is historical. In a way, the work of the, the Reformation has always been to stay. You know, the, the Reformation was always within the church. Um, Luther and those that followed him were kicked out of the church. They didn't leave. But they were so committed to the church and to the church's purity that they continued to be a voice for renewal and reformation. The other is, is biblically the, the parable of the, the weed and the wheat that Jesus shares with us where he says don't spend all your time pulling the weed because when you do it will take your time from taking care of the wheat and will also rip up the roots of the wheat. For our ministry of fertilizing and watering the wheat, the work of God in, on this street corner, in this community, and in this world, we continue to fo focus 
on that ministry to the wheat and feel that we can uh, in our own understanding of biblical purity and the work of the church. And then finally, uh, it's really one of, of honor, of stewardship, uh, where the resources and structures within the denomination of the PCUSA are, are such that we want to honor the sacrificial giving of the previous generations. For, for me personally, simply honoring my, my mother and father and grandparents and great-grandparents who, who sacrificially gave to, to build the structures and resources of this particular denomination that is seen in, in seminaries, in colleges, in local church buildings, and in global mission work that circles the world. And we do not feel as good stewardship to abandon that, but to continue to pursue biblical reformation and orthodox renewal within all of those structures so that we will continue to use all of those resources, past, present, and future, to fulfill the great commission and the great commandment. So, I hope that uh, answers that question. A number of you had specifically what we are pursuing and what we why we continue to, to stay and work for biblical renewal and reformation. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your written word that speaks to us of your truth. And we, we pray now that your spirit will infiltrate our lives and, and show us how the very work of our hands is, is to be given unto you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Alright, I want to ask you a question. And feel free to answer out loud so that others can hear you. Okay, this is not a rhetorical question, but where, where did you spend most of your time in the last seven days? Just... Think about that. Where did you spend most of your time in the last seven days? You reflect on that. Besides in bed. Where? At the office. Here, which is the office. At home. Another place. Uh, don't uh, try to see if there's anybody... Here that would maybe say, oh, I see one that would say school. Yes? A couple of school work? Yes, Paul. In Indiana. Okay. Some would say God's country. And yet, we, we spend, for most of us, that time is in the, at the office, in the marketplace, at school, or at home, which is now the place where we accomplish most of the, the tasks of our hands. And yet we don't tend to spend as much time talking about how following Jesus impacts those areas. And yet it's where, in the course of our lifetime, we spend the majority of our waking hours. Now, I want to say, too, before we get too far in this understanding Labor Day, we usually think of labor and work as our place of employment. Well, that's true, 
But work, biblically, is beyond that. It certainly includes the place of our, our employment. But for, for children, it, it, it is school. For those that are retired from employment, it is the, the tasks of the day. And a number of you who are retired have told me over and over, you've never worked so hard since retirement as you ever did beforehand. Amen? I see a lot of nods. That's a Presbyterian amen. And... For many, for many, the work is at home, doing laundry, cleaning, preparing food, parenting, grandparenting. All of that fits into my understanding of the biblical definition of work, of the tasks of our hand, the efforts that we make to subdue the creation for personal satisfaction, for service to others, and for the fulfillment of God's very creative purposes. It is a, what we will see as we look today is that work, the, the tasks of our hands, the effort that we put into subduing, to redeeming creation, is really a blessing from God and to be done for God. A passage this morning is in Colossians chapter 3. And I'll uh, read it now, and then we'll come back to it in, in, in a little bit. Starting with verse 17, and then picking up with verse 22 through the very beginning of chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it as done for the Lord and not for your masters, since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong has been done. And there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly. For you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, if we think about work, what what? When I say that term, labor, what negative words come to your mind? Go ahead. Sweat. Sweat. Huh? Fatigue. Aches and pains. Lack of sleep, right? Boredom. Frustration. Yeah, the uh, a number. It's just it's almost part of American culture to have the negative perceptions of of work that we have to see work as even a curse. To to see it at best as just a necessary evil that you have to do to pay the bills, or even worse, uh, work becomes an idol. 
I want to look and consider those negative views that, uh, that we have of work. Is work indeed a curse? Well, some, we can say, look back to Genesis chapter 3 and talk about a lot of what we've shared or the, the negative views of work come from the toil that work causes. Chapter 3, verse 17. God speaking to Adam. And to the man he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. See, the frustration that we spoke of, the the aches, the pains, the, the sweat, the toil of work is a result of the curse. Comes in chapter 3. But the giving of work comes before the curse. Man and woman, humans, were created in order to work. If you go back a page, verse 28. God blessed them and God said to them, after creating humankind in His image, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. It is the the work of subduing the creation of God that human beings were to have and to enjoy in the garden with their Creator. Because it is of God's nature even to work. Genesis 2, chapter 2. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that He had done. See what He finished? Work. He rested on the seventh day from all the work that He had done. Being one of being made in God's image was to, to create with God, was to subdue, to have dominion over the creation, to, to work. The problem is that the curse, our own sin, brings then about this toil and this sweat of the brow, this frustration that work can bring. Before the fall, work was the fruits of our work was to be commensurate with our efforts. After the fall, it wouldn't. Our work would not be commensurate with our efforts, but we would face toil and sweat and frustration. So work in and of itself is not a curse. matter of fact, it's a blessing, a very gift from God. It's also not just a means to an end, not just a, a, a necessary evil, you know, a way to pay for the weekends and holidays, or a way to pay for retirement. It's not the way to just learn a skill so that we can have a job. It's not just money for food, clothing, shelter, and forgiving. I mean, that 
that's true, but an incomplete picture of work to just see it as a means to an end. Psalm 8 is a great correction. The psalmist says to God, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, see that? The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, all beasts of the field and birds of the air and fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. And we could add to it whatever cubicle, cell phone, computer screen, whatever it is, your tools of work, every stove and desk and textbook, Every house and home are given as gifts. The works of God's hands given under our dominion to carry out that work before God. We are, it is not just a necessary evil in order to attain something else, but in and of itself is good. It's fulfilling our God-given opportunities to join with God in working the creation of God. For God's glory and pleasure. It is what we were created to do. Now the flip side then. Work being a curse or necessary evil. Sometimes we can make work an idol. That was certainly the case in uh, my generation. Not so sure it's as big an issue today. More the, the flip side is the issue of seeing it as a curse but the old workaholic syndrome i've shared with you before gordon Dahl's comments that we americans worship our work work at our play and play at our worship and it can be that work especially our employment and even true to the case to school and making grades Versus learning. Or even just accomplishing tasks. To be able to check them off. Can become an idol. Because work can become our God. It can be work that says you need to come in early. So therefore we do. You need to stay late. So therefore we do. You need to work on Saturday. Therefore we do. You need to move to this city. Therefore we do. You need to compromise your convictions. Loosen up a little bit. Just cut this corner for the sake of the bottom line. And work can become our idol. Or it can be the way that we feed our addiction to to money. Or to grades. And we do whatever work tells us to do. Work, in essence, becomes our God. And Jesus was clear to say that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. And that we can only serve one God. So work is not a curse. It's not a necessary evil. It's not an idol. But work is a blessing. A very gift of God. It's an act of service. Work are the the efforts that we give to to develop the creation. To redeem God's gifts to us. 
a service to God and to one another and to ourselves. Now, it takes, it takes effort to work. It's not necessarily natural for us because of the, the total depravity of sin, how, how sin continues, the, the, the curse of the fall continues to have sway over us. It, it does take sweat. It does take getting up and going and, and, and doing necessarily what, not necessarily what we want to do in the immediate moment. It does lead to frustration. I mean, it, it is difficult to work because of the fall. That's why we have sermons on it. That's why, I mean, I don't have many sermons on breathing. Because breathing happens, you know, that, that we just do. But work, it does take effort to keep it in its right place of neither curse nor idle. But of, as a gift from God. And, and again, whether it's employment, whether it's at school, whether it's in the home, or in retirement, the, the, the tasks at hand of all that you do aren't just to bide your time, make yourself to, to, to do something, but they are a, a gift from God that you return back to God, that you give to serve others, and that fulfills the very purpose of your creation. As we've mentioned, you know, God is a worker, a creator, and we are made in His image. So we, we aren't here just to bide our time until glory, but to, to live out our salvation even and especially in our work, given that we spend so much time fulfilling the tasks of our day. Look at Colossians 3 again with me. That we work unto God as a, as a joy, as an act of gratitude. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything. You know how you translate the Greek word there for everything? Everything. Everything. In everything, give thanks. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. According to His character. Now, I'll speak to that a little bit later. And in thanksgiving to God. I mean, what, a, what difference would it make if every morning, on our way into the school building, we said, thank you, God, for this building, for this school, for this teacher when we walked into the office place or got into the car to drive to if we work on the road or if we made our way into the laundry room or the thank you God for the tasks of the day that you have for us to fulfill for the work of our hands or of our mind What would it look like if every day when we woke up, the task in our hand weren't just something to get through the day or to cross off the list, but they really were gifts that we give back to God, that we give unto Him, that we do unto Him. Reminded of that bricklayer, the early 1900s, the you know, skyscraper then, like a 30-story building in New York. And he took the same amount of time on the 
21st floor as he took on the first floor to point the bricks and to, to lay the mortar and to position the bricks. And his boss said, you know, nobody's going to see it up there. Let's do it a little quicker up there than down here. To which the bricklayer said, my master will see it up there just as clearly as he will see it down here. He understood that his work was unto God. That everything he did was unto God. And that is the key of this passage. If you look down in verse 22 to chapter 4 verse 1. Six verses. But four times Paul makes it clear that what you are doing, the work that you are doing is unto the Lord. Verse 22, you're fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, verse 23, as done for the Lord. Verse 24, you serve the Lord Christ. And then the end of verse 4, chapter 1, you have a master in heaven. In what we read at the beginning, Brother Lawrence, he understood it well. That even in cleaning the pots and pans, even in flipping the omelet, it was unto God that he was working whether or not he ripped it, which I do most of the time, or not. It was a gift to God, the work of his hands. Now it's important to note then, if that's the case, everything we do is unto God, then there is no work of more or less significance to God than any other. I want you to hear that. There is no work of more or less significance to God if what we are doing is unto God. Whether you have a robe on with a green stole and you're in front of people speaking or whether you're doing anything else. That work is to be done unto God for God's glory, for God's pleasure, and for the pleasure and redemption of His creation. That is a part of what we celebrate as a Reformed church, as a Presbyterian church, the priesthood of all believers. That the baker and the candlestick maker and the preacher are all priests before God. Doing their work, the tasks of their day, unto God. For God's pleasure, for the service of others, and for our own fulfillment. Spiritual work is all work given unto God. There, there is no dichotomy between the secular and the spiritual between God because, for God because there is no place that God does not exist. And for all of God's people, our work is a gift unto God, an act of worship. Man, I wonder, if you think about that, I wonder just how well made was the furniture that Jesus made for the 15 years he was a carpenter in Joseph's shop. You think he was just saw that as biding his time until he got to the important stuff? Or was the, the work of his chisel, the, the, the work of, of his hands, an act of worship to his Father in heaven? And, and if it's just physical, spiritual, why did he waste so much time healing people and feeding them? Because all the work of his hands was a gift to his Father in heaven. This also brings up the point that how we do our work 
maybe more important than what our work is. Now, I have a hard time thinking that there could ever be someone working in the area of prostitution and say this is a gift unto God. So there are limits to this. There are things that we do that are evil, that are wrong. I I can't see a a drug pusher saying, well, I I work for the glory of God. I can't see someone who's an accountant for a gentleman's club saying, you know, this is a work I do for the glory of God. But, so there's a whole lot of gray in this arena of working for the Lord because of the challenges of working in a world that doesn't know God. But you only have to go ask Daniel about that as he worked for Nebuchadnezzar. Esther, king's court, working for king Ahasuerus. Or Joseph as he worked for Pharaoh. That that is a, a difficult task and one that we must walk through clearly. But what is crucial isn't so much in the big picture what we do as how we do it. As we're, we're called to do, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Doing Christian work is not doing our work however we want to, but having a Bible on our desk or a cross on our neck or leading a Bible study after hours. Now those things are, can be very important. But doing the work that we do in honoring Christ in ways that are honest and loving and caring, ways filled with compassion, ways that refuse to abuse the poor or the weak in our midst. We often say that our work is our calling. You'll notice I haven't used that term. Because our calling, biblically, I mean, just Read you a couple passages that refer to our calling. Galatians 5:13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Our calling is to serve one another in love, whatever the task might be. Colossians 3:15, just before the passage we read today. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Ephesians 4, 1. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Our calling, no matter what our task, is to be people of peace, people of love, people of holiness. My experience has been that regardless of what the task, that's been what I've learned in in fulfilling the work of my hands. One of my greatest learnings in college, you know, I was a biomedical engineering major. Really doesn't do much for the work I do now, except for maybe an illustration or two of how the body works. But my junior year in college... A fraternity brother got his hands on the organic chemistry exam and offered it to me. Talk about wrestling with God. 
and the work of your hands and being, well, I just got to get through, just got to make the grade, just got to fulfill the task. Or is the work, is how we do the work more important? It was a great challenge that week that I told Ted, no. No, thank you. Passed, maybe by the skin of my teeth, but I still passed. But I don't remember diddly about organic chemistry. I can't tell you what carbon even connects to anymore. But I vividly remember that and the challenge and the call to doing all our work unto Christ Jesus. And then in the end, not only does work begin in Genesis, but work will also be with us in heaven. The passage that we read earlier in Isaiah 65, 1 and 2, where a day will come, where the houses we build we will inhabit, the vineyards we plant we will eat their fruit. will be the picture of heaven where once again the curse will be totally reversed and work will pay back exactly what we put in. And we will enjoy the work of our hands to their fulfillment. But until then, I mean, dream with me a little bit. What would it look like if... The 600 of us that call College Hill Presbyterian Church home did our tasks, did our work unto the Lord. That we entered Monday as a worship service, Tuesday as a, a worship service, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, wherever the task calls us. What would it look like? What joy would fill our hearts, would fill our homes? What satisfaction would we find in the workplace? What witness to others? What changes in our communities if simply we took Paul's words to heart and did everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and gave thanks to God at every task? Ken Kroll is the president of Galtronics. It's a little company that makes antennas. Their uh, mission statement is Psalm 37.5. Commit thy way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Been around in the Tiberias area of Israel for since the 70s. And today, he's the largest employer in northern Israel. Employs 300 people, Jews, Arab Muslims and Christians provides a safe working environment, healthy incomes and benefits. And today, the business, Galtronics, has planted a church. Some converts out of the business place. Now the church has 400 members. Because Ken understood that all of work 
was a glory to God, whether it was the million antennas that he sold or caring for the 300 employees under his charge. Work in every way, in every task. We have the opportunity to give it unto the Lord, to give thanks in every task that we have, and then to see how the Lord will work to change us, to change our communities, and to change our world for His pleasure. Amen.